0: we have a specific mission here at Beulah Missionary Church. Uh, we say that our, our mission is to form or to make or develop big Christians. You've heard this before, yeah? Okay, some of you are nodding yes. It's on the front of your bulletin. You hear us talk about it quite often. Why is it that we, we use this phrase, big Christians? Why, why have we used that to describe our mission? Have you latched onto that? It's okay to talk to me. If I came down on the main floor, would that make it easier? Why, why, why are we saying that we're developing big Christians? Why that phrase? Okay, well, let me maybe help with that a little bit. Uh, a lot of churches and a lot of Christians get caught up in the notion uh, that their job, that our job, is to build a big church right? The more people we can get here, the bigger the building is, the bigger the offerings are, the bigger the staff is, the better job that we're doing. Now, I praise God for big churches, and I praise God for the people, as we all do, right, who were saved there and discipled there and sent into ministry through large churches. But here at Beulah, we've said, you know, we think that there's probably a a better goal that we can verbalize. And we think that is to make disciples. The reason we say that is because we're very confident that that's the command that Jesus gave us. As a matter of fact, uh, we looked at this last week as we started the this sermon. This, this passage from Matthew 28 that's come to be called the Great Commission, which says, Therefore go and make disciples. And so we are, we are confident as a church that if we'll be about the business of making big Christians, of making disciples, that God will take care of the other stuff that has to do with whether our church is going to be a certain size or, or so on and so forth. We're confident that we can stick to the command Jesus did give, make disciples, form, develop, make big Christians, And we can let him worry about the stuff that that he never really commands us to do, to focus on making a big church. So that's our goal, is to uh, make, develop, form... Big Christians, disciples who were making disciples. So in this series, uh, we're asking the question: What does it mean to be a big Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple? Last week we started by looking at Matthew chapter four, verse nineteen. You probably know this verse, even if you don't know the uh, the address or the reference where it's found. In Matthew four nineteen, Jesus is talking to uh, Peter and his brother Andrew, and he says, "If you remember it, say it with me: Come." follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Or men, yeah, depending on which version you're reading. But, but we say people because it's not just for males, right? It's for females, it's for teenagers, and it's for boys and girls, not just for adult males. Come, follow me and I will make you fisher of people. And so in that verse, we identified what we think are three significant marks or descriptors, descriptions of a disciple. First of all, a disciple belongs to Jesus. Jesus says, come follow me. And so a disciple is following Jesus. Jesus is my leader. I'm his follower. I belong to Jesus. A disciple is becoming like Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, just come follow me. But he says, I'll make you. I'll be working in you. I'll be reshaping you. I'll be forming you into something you aren't now. Something that looks like what I designed you and created you to look like. So a disciple is someone who is becoming like Jesus, is allowing the Lord to change them. And and finally, a disciple is being sent by Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you, make you what? Fishers of men. Someone who is on the same mission as Jesus is, to seek and to save the lost. And so a disciple is one who is listening to Jesus' word and being sent out by Jesus. So we kind of looked at the lives of, uh, of Andrew and Peter, at least this interaction they had with Jesus, and then, and then James and John a couple verses later uh, to understand, to develop a preliminary understanding of what it means to be a disciple. But can I just say, I know that's risky I know that's risky. When I start thinking about the fact that, um, you know, here we have Peter and Andrew and and James and John. I mean, these guys were big dogs. They were heavy hitters in Christianity, right? I mean, like Peter, if we jump to Acts 2, he stands before the Sanhedrin with boldness because the, excuse me, I I think maybe that's in Acts 4, but uh, because before that, he had healed a blind beggar. This is Peter, right? Like he said to the guy, I ain't got no money to give you, but yeah, why don't you stand up and walk? And the guy did. He was healed. This is Peter. Just a couple chapters before that, he preached the Sermon of Pentecost and what is it like? Um, 3,000 people were added to the church that day or something crazy like that? This is Peter. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know if I can be a disciple like Peter. You see, it's risky when we uh, when we start to think about people from the Bible and and, and try to compare our lives to theirs, it's too easy to slip in the sense like, oh man, I could, I could never do that. I could never, they were, they were, oh man, they were huge. They were holy. They were strong and powerful. They had such a great connection with God. Well, first of all, the Bible never presents the people in the Bible like that. They're, they're not on a pedestal. The Bible's pretty honest about how fallen we all are and how messed up we all are. But it's too easy for us to think, I could never be a disciple like Peter. And it's true. We can't. But you know what? God doesn't desire for us to be a disciple like Peter. God doesn't look at me and say, Earl, I want you to be a disciple like Peter. It was Peter's job to be a disciple like Peter. My job is to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, to allow him to work in me, to make me who he wants me to be, and to go on the mission that he has for me to go on with him. The, the, the truth of the matter is, and I want you to catch this, whoever you are, you can be a disciple of Jesus. Whoever you are, you can be a disciple of Jesus. And I'm pretty confident of that because um, being a disciple of Jesus isn't about keeping some kind of list or matching some kind of Profile. It's not about what you do, 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 or don't do, don't do, don't do. Being a disciple of Jesus is first and foremost about being in a relationship. A relationship with Jesus. Now, not the kind of relationship where Jesus passes you a note and says, do you like me, circle one, yes or no. It's not just about like having an admiration for Jesus. It's, it's not about picking your religion like you might pick your political party. That's not about swiping left or right like you might on a dating app. The call to be a disciple of Jesus is a call into a relationship that defines every part of your life. And whoever you are, Scripture makes it clear, you can be a disciple of Jesus. And so, I, what, what I'd like to do today is to show you why I believe that no matter who you are today in this room or listening online, you can be a disciple of Jesus. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 10. And so, while you're turning there, uh, by the way, we're going to look at a lot of passages today, and most of them will be on the screen in front of you. Um, you, you may want to turn to Matthew 10 and find it as we start there. While you're doing that, let me just say that uh, some of the thoughts from today's sermon. Um, began to percolate in the Sunday school class I went to last week. I went to Mark Esch's class and uh, Pastor Greg was there and he taught. And so from his teaching and the conversation in class, um, some of these things started to percolate. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Let's start in Matthew 10 today. Uh, Do we have that up there? Great. So these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So these are the first ones who were called to be disciples, followers of Jesus. This is an interesting list. If we were to walk through that list, actually, let's do that. Let's walk through that list and see who each of these men are. It starts with Simon Peter. If you know anything about Peter's life, you know that this guy loved Jesus. I mean, you read any story you can about Peter, and it's clear that Peter loved Jesus. Jesus. But he was always tripping all over himself, trying to show that he loved Jesus. You remember some of the stories, right? Like, like, like what are some of the popular ones? Um, the disciples are in a boat, and, um, and uh, it's the middle of the night, or, or at least it's morning before it's gotten light yet. And all of a sudden, they see what they think is a ghost out on the water. It gets a little closer, this, this being does, and Peter realizes it's Jesus. And so what does Peter say to Jesus? hey, if you tell me to come to you, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll I'll step out of the boat and I'll walk to you on the water. I believe you can make that happen. And so Jesus is like, well, yeah, come on then. And so what's Peter do? He gets out of the boat. He takes a few steps. And then he gets all nervous thinking, I don't know if this could really happen. And he starts to sink. I mean, this is Peter. Like he believed in Jesus. He was constantly tripping all over himself and making these kind of rash decisions. There's a conversation between Jesus and, and Peter and the other disciples, and several of the gospel writers record this. And, and Jesus is kind of taking a poll, and, and, and he's not so interested in what other people think, but that's his question. What he really wants to know is where the disciples are at. He says, Who do people say that I am? And they go through this short conversation, and, and finally, Peter chimes up and he says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, bingo. God has revealed that to you. You're right. You know this conversation. Are you familiar with it? Because you know what happens after Jesus takes his next breath, right? Peter's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. We're going to make you king. You're never going to die. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, this is Peter. He's impetuous and he's brash and he's saying these crazy things and and doing things without thinking. And and, and this is the first guy who was called to be a disciple or one of the first guys, at least in this list. And so that's encouraging because some of you, you some of us, are impetuous and brash at times. And and the truth is, if Peter can be a disciple, so can we. Even if we're impetuous and brash, we can be a disciple of Jesus. We've got Andrew in the list. We don't really know a lot about Andrew, except we said last week, about two months before that story where Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, come follow me, Andrew had actually encountered Jesus and realized in that first encounter that Jesus was the Messiah. And what did Andrew do? He went back to the family business. We found the Messiah. Great, let's go fishing. So even if you don't always make the best decisions, apparently you can still be a disciple of Jesus. We've got James and John. They, John, they were called the sons of, sons of thunder because they were bold and brash and in your face and they were a force to be reckoned with. So much so that when they wanted a special favor from Jesus, they brought their mommy to Jesus And she asked, would you put my sons at the right and the left in your kingdom? And I mean, not only were their motives immediately clear, they were in it for the power and the fame, um, but it caused all kinds of um, dissension and disunity among the disciples. And so apparently, even if your priorities are sometimes a little messed up, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, we have Philip on the list. We don't know much about Philip, except he actually was the first person to follow Jesus. And so even if you're living in the shadows and we don't, people don't know much about you, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. Bartholomew, I think, is the next name on the list. Is that right? Yeah, okay, we'll say it is. Um, so that sounds like a first name to me, right? Bartholomew. It's actually not. It's actually a last name. It probably means son of Talmai, who was king of Geshur. And so uh, his first name was actually probably Nathanael. So he was Nathanael, the son of Talmai, which, which means that um, this is the only disciple that we know of that probably had royal blood in his veins. This guy was actually a descendant of King David. And so even if you come from money and prestige and power, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. Thomas, we call this guy, Doubting. yeah, we call him Doubting Thomas. We know him, don't we? Um, so he's the one who, when Jesus came back from the dead and, and for some reason Thomas wasn't there when, when Jesus introduced him, his risen self to the other disciples and later they're like, Thomas, we saw him, really? We saw him, he's risen. And Thomas is like, nah, I'll believe it. Not till, I, not till I put my hand in his side, That's till I feel the, the holes. That's why we call him doubting Thomas. But apparently, even if you have serious doubts, you can be a disciple of Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector, we, we kind of we know enough to know that tax collectors didn't really have a great reputation. Still don't, right? How many little boys say, I want to work for the IRS when I grow up? Okay, some do, but that's okay. But even worse back in Matthew's day, he he was despised by his peers. He was a Jew who had sold out to the Romans. He was despised. And so apparently, even if you're despised by others, you can be a disciple of Jesus. James, the son of Alphaeus, we don't really know anything about him, except that apparently it looks like he was Thaddeus' brother. And so, even if you're mainly known as so and so's brother, isn't that a great way to walk through life? I'm so and so's brother. I'm so-and-so's sister. Um, My mom and dad are so-and-so. Even if that's how you're known, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. That may be the best way to be known. I'm a child of God. But even if you don't have a name for yourself, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. Thaddeus, he was probably, we don't know for sure, maybe a zealot. Uh, We do know for sure that Simon the zealot was a zealot because well, it's in his name, right? You guys could figure that out. You didn't need me to tell you that. So the fact that Simon was a zealot means that he was an intense nationalist. He was die hard. He was willing to be violent, to put the, the Roman pigs in their place, to take vengeance on Israel's enemies. And in modern day lingo, we might say he was I don't know, part of the Michigan militia or a member of Antifa. This is, this is the kind of guy he was. So apparently, even if you have twisted loyalties, you can still be called to follow Jesus. And then there's the last guy in the list, Judas Iscariot. The guy who went on to betray Jesus, something that I would never recommend that you do. But notice he made the list. Jesus knew who Judas was and what he would do and still called him to follow him. Because whoever you are, you can be a disciple of Jesus. It wasn't just men who followed Jesus, though. Uh, Flip over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 said the 12 were with him. Those are the 12 we just talked about. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. So all of these women that we're going to mention apparently had some form of demonic control before Jesus entered their life. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them, the 12, Jesus, out of their own means, and so right at the front, we have Mary Magdalene, who, who Luke says was freed of seven demons. It's not a, I don't think Luke intended to say uh, that demon was Fred and that was Joe and that was Billy Bob. That's not the point. Luke is saying she was totally, completely under the devil's, under Satan's control. Her life was marked by bond, bondage that couldn't be broken until Jesus came along. And So listen to this. Even if your life has been marked by evil and the occult and satanic control, Jesus can break that and call you to be his follower. They mentioned Joanna who lived in the White House, so to speak. Her husband was employed by King Herod. And so this may be hard to believe, but even if you're involved with politics you can still be a follower of Jesus. You can be a disciple of Jesus. Susanna, we don't know anything about other than apparently, like all the other women in this list, she was wealthy. You know, wealth can make it difficult for be a, to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus himself said that. But even if you're wealthy, you can still be a disciple of Jesus wealth isn't a requirement for being a disciple of Jesus. I want you to notice two sisters who weren't that wealthy at all. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10. You, you are familiar with this story. We've taught on it before. Jesus comes to town, and, and he spends the, the afternoon of the day at the house of, of Martha and her sister. And, and there's this whole conversation. You probably know it. If not, look it up in Luke 10. But at one point, Martha gets frustrated because she's seen to all the details that need to be seen to. Food needs to be made, and you know dishes need to be washed, and the table needs to be set and all this stuff. And, and she lashes out and says, why isn't anyone helping me? And, and Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. And so apparently, if you're one of these people who always is worried and bothered about things that don't even seem to faze other people, you can be a disciple of Jesus. And not only that, check out John 11. John eleven five. 5, here's what, what it says. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So kind of the hero of the story in Luke 10 is Mary. She's not even mentioned by name in John 11 because Jesus loved Martha, so even if you're worried and bothered about many things, you can still be a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus knows your weaknesses, He knows your proclivities, He knows how He's wired you, and he loves you all the same. Of course, Martha's sister was Mary, and um, Mary kind of had this issue maybe of being a little too honest at times. Notice what she says to Jesus in John 11:32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, "Lord!" If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have had to die. Where were you? What took you so long? And so, even if you don't always say the right things at the right times in the right ways, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. Mary wasn't the only one to speak her mind, though. Nicodemus also spoke his mind. Although what's on Nicodemus's minds was was questions that he couldn't answer. And that was a big deal for a a powerful, well-educated man. And Nicodemus needed answers. So he came to Jesus, uh, it says in the book of John, chapter three, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was afraid that others would discover that he had questions about Jesus for which he needed answers. And so even when you're afraid to admit that you don't know everything about Jesus, that you need more answers, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. We know from John 3 that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus that night, and we know that it took root in Nicodemus's life because he appears later in the story. We're going to put John 19 on the screen. Let's read that together. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night because he too was afraid. And so, even if you're like Joseph and Nicodemus and you're afraid sometimes to admit that you know Jesus, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. But let's not get Joseph and Nicodemus a bum rap. Yeah, they were afraid. But you know what? The 12 disciples, or 11 now, who had followed Jesus for three years and seen everything he did, they're nowhere to be found. And so here's Joseph of Arimathea, and here's Nicodemus leveraging their wealth, leveraging their influence, leveraging their name and their reputation to serve Jesus in a way that no one else was doing something that needed to be done, although really not seen by many people. And so even if that's you, even if you kind of serve from the the shadows, you're usually in the background doing what most people don't see, you can be a disciple of Jesus. Not all disciples work in the background, though. Notice Acts chapter 18. Says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of Jesus. So this Apollos is an interesting guy. He's a Jew, but he has a Greek name, and apparently he's from Egypt. So I don't know, figure that out. I, I guess the good news is even if you have all kinds of mixed pedigree, you have all kinds of things coursing in your blood, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. But notice what Luke says about Apollos. These are, this is a high compliment coming from a doctor. He says he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He spoke with great fervor and taught accurately. And so I continue to pray and believe that there's some in this room today for whom your discipleship, your following of Jesus, will mean that you will apply your intelligence and your fervor to full-time ministry. But even if you don't, you can still be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Like we said in the beginning, discipleship is first and foremost about a relationship. And we see that played out in the very next verse here in, in, uh, in Acts. Verse 26 says, He, that's Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. We don't know a whole lot about this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. We, we really only know two things for sure from Scripture. First of all, um, they took under their wings this young Egyptian Jew with a Greek name and taught him the way of God so that he could uh, do his ministry with more accuracy. And secondly, we know about Priscilla and Aquila that they stuck their necks out for a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul describes that in Romans 16 when he says, I owe Priscilla and Aquila my life. They saved my life. And so even if you think that all you've done is taking a younger believer under your wings and help them to grow a little bit. Even if all you've done is stuck your your neck out for someone, that's okay. You can still be a disciple of Jesus. Speaking of sticking your neck out for someone, notice Acts chapter 15. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. John Mark doesn't really have the best best track record at this point. Matter of fact, just a few years back, John Mark was hiding in the Garden of Gethsemane watching Jesus be arrested. And when someone confronted him, he split. He took off. He, he wasn't hanging around there. Apparently, that's what happened on the last missionary journey with Paul, too. Things got difficult, and, and John Mark left. He went back home. And so, uh, apparently, even if you don't yet have a great track record, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus. But here's Barnabas sticking his neck out and saying, no, we need to take John Mark. And and the the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was so severe that they parted ways. I gotta tell you, I don't know what Paul was expecting. When he saw Barnabas stick his neck out for John Mark, why argue with him? Paul should have known how this was gonna go because this is who Barnabas was. Notice Acts chapter 9. When Saul, that's Paul by his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. So, so when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples. Barnabas, Barnabas put everything on the line to give Saul a chance because sometimes even if your only role is to get others started at great cost to yourselves, you can still be a disciple. Which really brings us to the least likely of all disciples, at least as we have it recorded in scripture, Paul. Listen to what Paul wrote about himself in 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called a disciple because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. You see, Saul, or Paul, was a religious man. He thought he knew God. And then one day he had this encounter that changed his perspective and helped him to realize that he didn't have the relationship he thought he did. We read about it in Acts chapter nine, where it says, Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Saul got up from the ground and they led him by the hand into Damascus. And so even if you think that your past disqualifies you, even if you think that you've done too much, you've gone too far, you've been trapped too long, you can still be a disciple of Jesus. Yes, you are who you are. But the grace of God can have great effect in your life. You can have a relationship with this Jesus Christ. God's desire for you is so great and his grace so much greater that no matter how worthy you think you are, no matter what you think you've done that ought to disqualify you, no matter what you would look at, look at yourself and say, I don't have that characteristic or that thing, no matter what your resources are, or no matter what your personality is or no matter how learned you are or educated, no matter what your, uh, your past is, your present is, it doesn't matter if Jesus says to you, come follow me, you can be a disciple of Jesus. If you'll respond in obedience, when Jesus whispers to you, come follow me, You can be a disciple of Jesus. You can belong to Jesus. You can become like Jesus. You can be sent like Jesus. This track record of disciples through the scriptures helps us to understand that it's not because of anything we could ever do. Jesus doesn't say, come be my disciple, because we can add a whole lot to what he can do. It's because of what he has done. And it's certainly not because of who we are. It's because of who he is. Beloved, when Jesus says to you, come, follow me, it's because he's already done the work. And because he wants to do that work in you. Of course, the work I'm talking about is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We understand that uh, that Jesus came and died on the cross because each of us has sins that need to be dealt with. We are sinful, we're we're, we're rebels, we're enemies of God from the get-go. But because Jesus died on the cross as a sinless man, we can be forgiven. And because of that work, because we can receive his work and we can be forgiven, we can hear Jesus say to us, come follow me. And it's this work that Christ has already done and wants to carry out in us that we remember when we celebrate communion. Communion is an opportunity for those who are followers of Christ uh, to gratefully thank God for the work that Jesus Christ did. Anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ is welcome to receive communion here with us today. You don't have to belong to our church. You just have to be able to say, um, by God's grace, I've been forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I'm gonna ask those who are serving communion, if you would please make your way down to the front and come right up to the table here. As they're coming, let me just say, we're gonna uh, pass these plates and you'll find as they pass by, they have both uh, the juice and the bread on them. Please take a cup and please take a, a piece of the bread and hold it. After everyone has received uh, their elements, then we'll partake of them together in prayer. Paul tells us that after his last meal with his disciples, these men who, and women who didn't deserve to be called to follow him, but were, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you in accordance with prophecy. Whenever you eat it, remember me. And the same way after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this is a, a, new, a new covenant between man and God is sealed with this, my blood. Whenever you drink this, remember me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you loved the world so much that you sent your only son to die a sinner's death in in my place, in our place. He who knew no sin took on the sin of the world, including mine and ours, so that we could be your children. And Father, we thank you that the work of Christ doesn't stop there, but that he continues today to say to boys and girls and teenagers and men and women, come follow me me. And so, Father, we pray that as we've received communion and remembered his death and resurrection, that in the same way, we would have ears to hear his whisper as he says, come follow me, and that we would obey and allow him to do with us what he will. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I'm going to ask if you please stand and we'll bless one another as we're dismissed. Uh, If you're a guest today, at the end, you'll hear everyone say, and also to you, and that is in that way, we'll bless one another. So may you hear Jesus say to you, come follow me. May you obey and become his disciple. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with God's grace.